0: Coming up on this episode.
1: In the last decade, the whole world, including Europe, has been suffering from synthetic drugs. college student jumped off um, his uh, dormitory uh, floor because he thought he was being chased mm-hmm. and ended up losing his life. Our success rate is more than 70%. Now, internationally, therapeutic communities have a success rate of 20 to 30%. Our emotional world needs to be very well protected, and we can't play with fire.
0: Welcome to the Med Conceptions podcast, a podcast about health and living a more mindful life. Today, I am very pleased and thankful to have with me uh, Tina Bablum, who is a clinician, uh, who's a clinical family therapist, a Clinical Director at the Therapeutic Rehab Community of Ahiaskia in Cyprus and a mother of four. She has over 25 years of a clinical experience in the field of drug abuse and addiction. Today, we're going to try and address um, addiction and drug abuse and try and debug some myths around the subject. Thank you so much for being here, Tina.
1: Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: So, what I usually do is we start with a little bit about what you do.
1: Mm-hmm. So I've been working at, at IESKB for the last 24 years. IESKB is the largest organization um, uh, dealing with drug addiction in Cyprus. I have a small private practice on the side the last 10 years. I've taught at the University of Nicosia for five years. And I've been on the parole board the last six years. So I work a bit at the prison, uh, evaluating um, long-term prisoners that are up for parole.
0: That's lovely. How did you come about to, um, what interests you to go into all these fields?
1: Um, Well, I specialized in addictions back in my graduate degree. Um, And um, my first addiction class, which I took a bit randomly, to be completely honest, I was looking to do my practicum hours for my first practicum. And I was looking for a paid internship at the time due to financial (laughs) restraints. The only paid internship in Washington DC at the time when I was in graduate school was in the field of addictions.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I gave it a shot and I actually, I, I, I fell in love with the field. Um, I was fascinated by the fact that drug addiction, which is a field that touches every single person on this planet, is directly related to um, emotional pain and suffering. Mm-hmm. And since I had gone into psychology and wanted to work with less privileged people, I felt that it was a great match for me. My first class in graduate school in addictions, I remember it was this African professor. He walked in and his first sentence was, you're very wise, um, those of you who have chosen addictions as a specialty, because wherever you go in the world, you're going to have a job. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, I wonder if Cyprus uh, if there's any, you know, it would, if there would any be, ever be a substance abuse issue on this island, yeah. because back then it was unheard of almost,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which was really a problem hitting under the carpet at the time. So yeah, years later, I come back to Cyprus and we start the first inpatient rehab facility on the island and it's been going on for 23 years now. We're running six different programs. And um, we cater for the long-term drug abusers that have been using drugs for many, many years on a daily basis. So it's a very, actually, a specialized population within the substance abuse field.
0: Mm -hmm. And this uh, addiction center or rehab center, it's called?
1: It's called Agia It Mm -hmm. was created. It belongs to the monastery of Mm Maheras. Um, and uh, it was uh, originally, um, the idea came from the abbot of Mahira's Monastery at the time and currently the bishop of Limassol, Father Athanasios. Mm-hmm. He was coming into regular contact with drug addicts 25 years ago who used to go and visit the monastery. And that's how the whole idea came about. Um, he remains to be the chair of our board and mm-hmm. our spiritual guidance. And uh, it's been growing ever since. Unfortunately, the need is there, so we've been developing programs over the last twenty years.
0: That's lovely. Um, I wanted to ask. So now, the um, like you said, with the increase in um, in drug addiction, I've got some stats here. Uh, I, I just wanna I just wanna go over them. I just saw them two seconds ago. So the UN Office of Drugs and Crime uh, report in twenty twenty two. Uh, Reported 284 million people uh, using drugs aged 15 to 64, most of them less than 35, worldwide in 2020. And there's a 26% increase over the previous decade. And then we've got for drug overdose deaths, 107,000 deaths in the U.S. alone. And this has gone up from, this was in 2021, so 107,000 in 2021. And this has gone up by 20,000 from 2020. Do you think this increase has something to do with COVID?
1: Yes, absolutely. Substance abuse, as I said, um, it's really a very, to, not to oversimplify, but to simply say that it's a way for people in general to find um, a kind of relief in their daily struggles. It's definitely the most, um, the most dangerous and the most unhealthy choice. But unfortunately, every time we see um, issues rising, in society, almost always we have a, 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 an increase in substance abuse. This we see this during war situations. We see this during financial um, crises, and now the pandemic and the whole um, the whole. I mean, the people suffering in isolation. Basically, we have seen an increase in people um, using substances to self-medicate, to emotionally self-medicate.
0: Mm-hmm. So it's a, as a gateway.
1: Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Um, availability is huge. That's another issue.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Availability um, is huge. The comfort level among youth has increased, which is a huge concern of us here in Cyprus as well.
0: well sorry, Pe- what does the comfort level the mean?
1: Comfort level meaning that, that young people are comfortable around seeing drugs. Because of the increased availability, it's not a big issue anymore. They're comfortable when people use drugs around them. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like something abnormal or out of the ordinary. And that's a major issue. People have become not maybe comfortable is the right word, but just um, um, careless around the substance abuse. 20 years ago, 30 years ago, in a, you know high school, you would know the couple of people that used to use drugs. Mm-hmm. These days, people you know, use drugs within a peer group and people it doesn't upset them, it doesn't look, you know, odd or different. This is what I mean by comfort level. Mm -hmm. Um, And whenever the comfort level increases among youth who are usually a bit more reckless, have less impulse control, um, their executive uh, functioning is not complete yet, so they make decisions more carelessly, Mm -hmm. Uh, that's when we run the risk for people to experiment. Now, I have to say this, experimentation will will not lead somebody to addiction, but experimentation will get them in the door of a whole different world. So if we have a young person who's struggling with difficulties, family issues, personal difficulties, emotional difficulties, and experiments, then the substance almost makes sense inside him, Mm. finds a way to relieve him. And that's when we run the risk for that young person to repeat the drug use over and over again, because he has felt relief. Um, So this is where risks have increased in the last uh, uh, decade, and especially in the last five years, I would say.
0: Okay. Um, What about, could we talk a bit about... um... The different types of drug categories and maybe some side effects we can talk about specifics details and also if you know which kind of drug categories or drug types have increased mm-hmm. uh, in use
1: okay um, in the last decade the whole world including Europe has been suffering from synthetic drugs it's been a big issue in the field of addiction Crystal meth, to be more specific, mm-hmm. is a synthetic drug that has been affecting the world of substances um, and has been sort of like, in quotes, the pandemic of substance abuse in Europe in the last 10 years. Crystal meth is a synthetic substance who, unfortunately, does not only cause extreme addiction, it has known to change, actually change personalities. People are more violent. It has, um, it's been recorded to cause secondary psychiatric diagnosis. So it really affects different parts of the, brains, of the brain like no other drug. Mm-hmm. So it has been a very difficult drug to deal with in therapy, to be honest. Now, the second most difficult situation we've, we've been dealing in the last 10 years, again in the family of sh- synthetic drugs, is synthetic marijuana. There's Mm -hmm. so many myths around marijuana these days and amongst youth. And that's personally my biggest concern. Synthetic marijuana also will cause um, a psychiatric situation, will cause psychosis. And as we have recorded in the last years that we've been studying this, you know, first psychotic episode, it's almost 80% curable if treated properly. Mm -hmm. If people continue to smoke, uh, synthetic marijuana or other synthetic drugs and have a second psychotic episode, then the the um, chance for uh, treatment, for cure, drops to 40%. And after a third psychotic episode, uh, pe- the chance of um, coming out of this permanently drops to 20%. So here we are dealing with youth, young people who have... Um, been smoking you know, long-term synthetic drugs and end up either in psychiatric units or, or antipsychotic medication long-term because of this um, extra, I would say, impact or secondary diagnosis that synthetic drugs uh, will cause. So we've been dealing, this last decade, with a more complicated uh, situation when it comes to uh, the new synthetic drugs. Europe has been recording almost every year 70 new of these synthetic drugs. And the way it's been going on is that people, you know, the in, within the drug trade, they'll ch- slightly change the formula. The new drug remains, you know, legal for a few months until it's spotted and becomes illegal. But it, um, it affects a lot of young people. It's much cheaper And it's, um, I would say, much more difficult to to deal in therapy because of its complications with psychiatric situations. This has been the new era in the field of substance abuse. Mm -hmm. So 10 years ago, in our center, for example, because it's a therapeutic community and it's a long-term inpatient facility, we used to cater for um, heroin IV users. I know the United States has been struggling with heroin abuse in the last decade, but Europe has been mostly dealing with synthetic drugs.
0: You mentioned psychosis, what is psychosis? How can someone understand they've got a psychotic episode? And what does it mean when I have long-term psychosis and mm. psychosis as a...
1: Yes, that's a, good, a very good point, we, we need to explain it. Psychosis, it's a situation where the person dissociates with reality. And within this dissociation, the person can have symptoms like um, hearing voices, having illusions, um, getting paranoid on almost permanent basis. It's really extremely difficult for the patient to deal with all these symptoms. And in return, people become very violent in their effort to protect themselves in their own paranoid ideation. Mm-hmm. So we need to treat these people with, with antipsychotic medication to help them um, Reground themselves and regroup themselves and alleviate these severe symptoms that are not um, that that uh, give them the sense of losing their mind almost. These are uh, it resembles a lot to the diagnosis of schizophrenia. And um, when we say dealing with it with if we deal you know early episodes of medication, people can once they stop using the drugs when these episodes are drug-induced, then we can have um, good outcomes and good results. However, if they continue to use synthetic drug substances, what we mean by long-term is that people need to remain on on, um, antipsychotic medication, sometimes for the rest of their lives, just to make sure to alleviate the symptoms of psychosis, which, as I said before, is hearing voices, having illusions, being paranoid, and generally dissociating from reality.
0: There's a lot of things I want to ask. Um, I want to give an example of paranoia and maybe you can confirm it. I was, I was with this one of my friends who, who, who did edibles. Um, and this was the first time he exposed, he was exposed to, uh, to any sort of drugs and, um, he, he had a I don't know if it was a psychotic episode, but he was hearing stuff that wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would get paranoid. He had, um, a, a heart rate goes up constricted his constriction in chest he had a panic attack Mm. and then the paranoia was we were in the tube and he thought someone wanted to kill him Mm -hmm. and constantly Mm -hmm. um like um and yeah kept on going through his mind it's very difficult to um
1: exactly what we're describing Andreas is actually quite a typical psychotic episode Mm -hmm. where people feel um afraid that somebody's trying to kill them somebody's watching them and It's a horrible feeling for people to feel being chased off for their life. And that's when sometimes they actually can get very violent themselves in what they think is in their defense. But what in reality teaches is a complete illusion the entire time. You know that um, even though marijuana has been uh, wrongly portrayed as an innocent drug, synthetic marijuana, we actually have one recorded death in the United States, in Colorado, a couple of years ago, where a college student jumped off um, his uh, dormitory uh, floor because he thought he was being chased, mm-hmm. and ended up losing his life uh, after um, using edibles.
0: What would you say to a, a young person who, who would come up and say, "Well, it's okay. I use I use marijuana once every week. I'm, I'm fine. I've been doing it for years." Mm-hmm. Uh, what would you answer to that? Mm-hmm.
1: Um, Almost always, when I have discussions with young people that um, regularly use marijuana, um, marijuana, if you get to the bottom of it, of the lifestyle of a young person um, using it, people have the illusion that it helps them concentrate, and it does give that illusion to some people that lack concentration, or they think they're more creative, that's another myth. Um the reality of it is that if we have one major symptom that marijuana will cause is um, being, um, trying to find the word in English, being, sitting on the couch, um, having goals and dreams for your life, mm-hmm. but never putting them in action.
0: Procrastination.
1: Procrastination and always postponing for the next day. That's mm-hmm. a status that every single marijuana, regular marijuana use will admit to that. Yeah. So they have plans, they want to go on with their lives, but their life is stuck sitting on a couch, smoking and you know, uh, planning for the next day. Another major symptom that marijuana will cause that people don't um, most of the time realize unless they go into an analysis with a therapist is that it actually locks the emotional situation of the person. So, we have a young person who might be struggling with feelings of depression. Mm -hmm. If they use marijuana on the surface, it might alleviate a bit of that, but in actual reality, it locks the emotional situation where it is and does not allow the person to move on. So, in my book, these are major consequences uh, because people end up getting stuck.
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: they try to they smoke marijuana originally for fun I guess when it comes to young people but regular users will almost always admit to getting stuck in situations that actually wanted to move away
0: from it's interesting I I didn't know about this Um, what would you answer to the other case of, of a young person going to university and then um being offered to smoke weed for first, for the first time would do you consider that okay just for wanting to see what it is or should we avoid that as well
1: to be honest obviously i might not be the best person to ask even though i'm always asked um i'm on the other end of this story i cannot ever agree to anybody trying to use any kind of drug, anything that will affect the conscious of the brain. Mm -hmm. We need to protect ourselves. There is so much going on around us, um, especially young people going into college. There is so much going on. They need to, young people need to learn to protect their minds, their developing brains, and their emotional worlds. If people are not emotionally stable and well, they cannot really deal with anything in my book. So, our emotional world needs to be very well protected, and we can 't play with fire um, so personally, i'm completely against trying anything. You can experiment on a hiking trip on sports, <laughs> on everything and anything on this planet. It doesn't yeah. have to be with illicit drugs or even in countries where it is illegal and that's a whole different you know discussion of why some countries choose. Um, to decriminalize to criminalize marijuana, and we can actually, you know, say a couple of things about that. But, because it's a, it, it's a tough world out there, and because you're going through very difficult times, we need to protect ourselves, because in the case where at a difficult period in our lives, trying something and experimenting on something feels good, then we do run the risk to repeat it. Mm-hmm. And we need to find healthy ways to entertain ourselves, healthy ways to have fun and healthy ways to be good to be well so no i am extremely against i'm very against about alcohol using as well in the developing brain to be honest and we also underestimate in our kind especially in our part of the world um, there was a brilliant shocking even for hours uh, for us as a professional statistic that came out from the uk five years ago a statistic a, a research that points it out that regular alcohol use not necessarily abuse regular use between the ages of 15 to 18 will multiply your chances of becoming an adult alcoholic by six times. Now that's a very scary statistic. But because it's a developing brain and because our brains develop up until the age of 21 um complicating it regularly with substances runs major risks. So I feel very strongly about the fact that our part of the world is very relaxed about um, alcohol use. And that's to me, that is the gateway track uh, for young people. So we need to be very careful to follow the legal age of drinking, because most of the time, it does follow the biological Uh, needs that the person has and and protects the person from having this kind of interference in their development.
0: What about uh, in the case of parents when um, when you have a parent, let's take alcohol, for example. Mm -hmm. I'll describe two scenarios and you can comment on them. One scenario is the parent is very strict. You won't have alcohol until you're 18 Uh, and they're very strict with this and they enforce it on their children. And the other example of the parent describing, okay, alcohol is bad for you. You shouldn't have it until you're 18. But it's okay if you try some here on the table. You try some wine or, you know, the kind of culture mm-hmm. I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can try some beer. It's okay. He's, he's 17. He's, he's 16. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I will go with the first scenario. I strongly believe that um, we set the example of our children from day one. Mm-hmm. until they leave the house, they leave the family and they leave the home. So parents need to set that example. So alcohol needs to be contained within family occasions, within celebrations. As a parent as, as a parent who raises children, I would suggest to avoid the daily use of alcohol mm-hmm. and to be very clear, of why we need to reach the adult age before you use alcohol. Just like smoking, just like driving. You won't tell your kid to drive around the neighborhood at 15 to give it a try because of the dangers. To me, it's exactly the same thing. So parents need to set the example. Parents need to be able to contain themselves when drinking, to set that example. And parents need to clarify to their children, to their you know, when they raise children, that when the right age comes, then they're entitled to um, try alcohol. And uh, also, it's it's a lesson that we teach our children to remain within the law. We don't do anything illegal, um, both parents and children, so that we, you know, we raise uh, people that have the set of values and respect laws within their homes and their countries. So... No, I would not encourage experimentation before the legal age of alcohol. In Cyprus, it's 17, and um, and I will educate. Parents need to educate their children of the risks that this entails. But most importantly, they themselves themselves need to set the example.
0: I was going to ask them how uh, how they would pass on this message, and I think uh, setting the example is uh, you addressed it very well. Um, let's. Um, you mentioned decriminalization. Mm. Uh, so, is that good? Is that bad?
1: Yeah. Well, it definitely a country before it makes that decision needs to um, study very well and research the conditions of the specific country. And I'll give you the example that I found very interesting and very. Uh, precise to what I'm I'm, I'm trying to point out. A few years ago, Chicago was one of the states in the United States that decriminalized um, marijuana and made it legal. And I remember um, listening to the interview that the chief of the police of Chicago gave. And he said, when he was asked about it, he said, "When when I am investigating seven homicides in one neighborhood, I cannot be running, chasing after a marijuana user. So we need to be very careful why we make the choice to decriminalize within a country. What are they? We can't look at Chicago and say, oh, they've done it, so why don't we do it? So we need to be very country-specific when we make that decision. To be honest, Holland, who set the first example years back, back when it was first um, made legal in the Netherlands, the following year, interestingly enough, their heroin use had increased uh, immensely. The last five years, they're really trying to contain marijuana use in the Netherlands within um, licensed users. So it's not black and white. What I would say is that any country who will move forward, they need to be very careful to study you know, and research deeply what are the... What's the reality of the country and whether that country is ready and whether the damage that will be done will be more than the benefit? Because we casually say, well, when something it's not, um, it's not, when is forbidden, it's more attractive. Well, alcohol is not forbidden in our country, and right now it's the number one substance of use in Cyprus. So it's not a straightforward answer for me, I'm not for it, obviously, since, like I said, I've been living for the last 25 years these consequences. Uh, But I would just say that any lawmaker who will move forward to such a decision, they need to take into consideration every single element within the country.
0: So address the complexity and uniqueness of each situation. Exactly. And I think it's the same way that goes with patients. Uh, They don't have, not all patients will continue with the same treatment plan. Um, uh, it's very interesting uh, all the stuff that you're saying um, let's move on so we talked about cannabis which is something I wanted is there any other myths around the use of cannabis that you would like to address
1: um, the one thing that I uh, quickly mentioned before that there's a huge myth about creativity that's why marijuana is very commonly, very common and widely um, used among some the um there is one of the largest uh, organizations of substance um, treatment in the United States, the Phoenix House, has actually created a teenage program that involves um, a music school and a re- with recording studios and a drama school and caters um, this youth just to point out that creativity is not associated with um, the use of marijuana. And um, it's actually a college within the, um, the substance abuse treatment program uh, within the arts, just to prove the opposite. Um, the fact that we, it's been tried to portray it as innocent When you live and when you work with people that have gone through psychotic episodes because of synthetic marijuana, then you realize not only that it's not innocent, but in my book, probably one of the most dangerous ones um, that will mess with your brain in ways that can bring about um, damages that sometimes are irreversible. also, it's some of the myth is that medically it's been helping out on a lot of diagnoses. Now, that is not proven. There are still studies being made. What we have proven this far is that it will alleviate symptoms for some medical diagnosis, but definitely will not treat um, uh, diseases, major diseases, like it's been um, portrayed. Portrayed,
0: yeah. Um, I was going to ask about... Uh, and <laughs> You addressed the question before I was before I had the chance to ask. Um, you mentioned synthetic marijuana. What's the difference between synthetic and non-synthetic marijuana? And um, is non-synthetic okay then?
1: Synthetic marijuana is marijuana that's been um, processed with chemicals. Mm-hmm. Different kinds of chemicals. Um, non-synthetic marijuana will have less complications, but um, people that are predisposed to some psychiatric situations genetically also run the risk with non-synthetic My1. Mm-hmm. What's most risky in this situation is that nobody, even the most experts um, of, uh, that, that consider themselves experts in regular uses cannot tell them apart. So you never know what you're purchasing when it comes to synthetic or non-synthetic marijuana. So that alone increases the risk immensely. Um, But in terms of the deeper consequences that comes with what we mentioned earlier, being, you know, uh, undecisive, stuck on a couch, not moving forward with um, your life, that doesn't have to do, that applies to all kinds of uh, marijuana use.
0: Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I was reading this study, uh, which is the two ingredients, main ingredients in myjuana. one is CBD mm-hmm. and then the other one is THC. THC is the psycho, uh, a- ingredient. Um, and I was reading that in the past 20 years, the, the ratio usually was C- CBD was 80% and the THC was 20%. And these ratios have changed. So the CBD substance has Lowered, and then the THC has uh, increased dramatically, and they do this because it gives more of a of a high, a stronger high, um, and because um, and the idea was again, correct me if I'm wrong, um, that CBD kind of countered some of the side effects of of THC, mm-hmm. and because of this reversal in uh, uh, in in the amounts of the substances, then you we are seeing more and more. Um, psychiatric uh, and psychotic episodes.
1: Mm-hmm. It, that's exactly right. However, we have no clear results on these studies to be specific about, a conclu- to have a conclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, it is true that the increase of THC concentration is what's causing um, most of the um, side effects. And that's why CBD byproducts are legal um however, we do see though that within the population that abu- uses and abuses um marijuana uh it's a mix and match they 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 do combinations of things, and that's when things get complicated and risky and that's why we can't have um clear conclusions yet
0: uh let's move to some other drugs. I think we've addressed the the cannabis <laughs> use uh very thoroughly so um, what about So we talked about CBD oil for, uh, there's not much evidence behind it. Well, uh, no concrete evidence for it to be used in uh, alleviating symptoms, for example, palliative care. Um, What about ketamine for depression?
1: Hmm. Um, There are new studies coming out uh, in the use of both ketamine and also hallucinogens in the treatment of major depression. To be fair, so far, the first results are positive, inconclusive yet, but they're under study. And I do believe that this would bring us to a new um, era of dealing with major uh, clinical depression. However, whatever use um, we do of substances, it needs to be medically supervised and medically guided. So, again, I'm a bit wary for people to experiment on their own and to abuse um, substances in order to get better for other diagnoses. We have have a world of uh, ways to clinically and medically deal with depression And it's a very serious um, diagnosis, and I think that I would feel much safer if it's done within a clinical setting and with the help of a psychiatrist rather than using substances to alleviate symptoms.
0: I think it's very important. It doesn't mean because you feel down, um, it's okay to take some mushrooms. Uh Exactly, exactly.
1: (laughs) Um, It's been a myth around alcohol all these years that, uh, you know, you take alcohol and you feel happy. You feel happy in the first couple of hours of using it, but alcohol is a depressant and it will contribute majorly to people that are depressed. So it's been a vicious circle for these people or their lives. Um, again, because of the misconception that a bit of alcohol will um, help you enjoy yourself more.
0: So uh, let's move on. How do you know you need help with addiction and in in any of these substances we've talked about? And where should you reach out to, to get mm-hmm. it? We can talk about ciphers or... U.S., U.K.?
1: Okay. Um, One of the biggest um, difficulties in the field of addiction is that um, people control their drug use for a very long time. So the day that they will move from drug abuse to drug addiction, which most of the time it's a day of no return in terms of being able to deal with it without treatment. Um, We don't know where that day will come. I've seen people that have been addicted to substances after three months of using them. I've seen people that got addicted three years after using them. I've known people that died the second time they used the substance. So um, it should never... The moment the substance becomes um, center of somebody's life and the moment the person is... um, uh, finds themselves too regularly using something, I would say that's a time when you need to ask for help. Experimentation, drug use and drug abuse are three stages that a person can go from one to the other. But like I said, the day that you know your next dr- substance abuse will take you into the addiction phase, it will be a very difficult road to come back or to, um, to deal with it without treatment. Now I always say to next of kin if it's a parent a partner a sibling a husband or wife that realizes that there is substance use going on any kind of use is to reach out for help there's no need to panic but um, if cuz usually we don't find that the actual person who's using will ask for help until they're really at rock bottom so we we advise the next of kin or whoever is close to a substance user, the moment they realize there is regular substance use, to reach out, ask for help, and get the professional instruction of how to go about it. Sometimes I tell people that, you know, ask for your, you know, uh, for the person who's using, ask them for a favor. See a professional just one time, no commitment, to engage in the conversation, to help them question what they're doing and where, where they are at. It's not easy because you can't force somebody into therapy. You just need to help them and motivate them, understand the consequences that they are dealing with as a start. Um, In Cyprus, we we now have a lot of outpatient programs. We have been able after years of uh, struggles to pass a law that has been active since 2017 where it allows the judge to order treatment instead of um, uh, imprisonment. Because either we like it or not, drugs are illegal and drugs will... Regular users will end up in trouble with the law. So we're able now, both for teenagers and for adults, to be given the opportunity for treatment instead of um, any other kind of punishment within the court system. So we do have a lot of court order clients. Um, They're not, I guess, willingly there, but it's a start.
0: Can people... Is there a telephone number that they call? Yes.
1: Uh, our number here in Cyprus is 22347720. Uh, 7, 7, 7, 7, so 22347720. 2, they can call our number and we can evaluate and refer out either to our program or to other outpatient programs. Because to need an inpatient program, you, we cater for long-term users. But we can also evaluate and refer out to other outpatient programs.
0: What about um, the percentage success of long term abstinence of mm. um, people coming out of therapy? And I do want to, we don't have a lot of time, but this, um, it's very interesting. Um, I don't want a few words about what kind of treatment happens um, in the therapeutic center of Ayeskebi.
1: Okay. Ayeskebi runs um, on the model of therapeutic community. The therapeutic community is actually a a treatment model that originated in the United States, came in Europe in the early 80s. um, And we have actually copied that model. We have adjusted it to our country and our culture. And um, we have also incorporated in our efforts a spiritual uh, component to it. Um, Because we do believe that a person is both, you know, Physical, mental, and spiritual, and you need to cater for all of that. We have a very holistic approach to that if we require people to change their lives um, all over. Um, we, have, we have very, very good outcomes. I would say roughly one in two people will make it. Um, our success rate is 52%, um, including those people that drop out. If I look at the people that have completed all phases and graduated from the program, our success rate is more than 70%. Now, internationally, therapeutic communities have a success rate of 20 to 30%. So we're very grateful for our results. Why we have such high results? We are a small country. We still have values, the, f- the value of the family. We have family programs and we support the family in that way. And I do feel strongly that the spiritual component, we allow people to explore within therapy and their connection to God and to choose, if they want to, in their free will, a life within um, uh, the church and uh, to have a spiritual component in their everyday life, then we do see... Um, the way forward much easier for these people because you provide for them another support system. These are people long-term drug users. We need to um, note that long-term drug users are people that have been working, um, using drugs for 15 to 20 years. The people have had it very rough. They're people that have been imprisoned. They have, um, um, they're, they're very, mm, they have a heavy history of illegal activity, substance abuse, dissociation from their families. And a lot of personal and emotional pain. They need to have to have hope, to have hope to be forgiven, to have hope to be taken care of and to care for others, to have hope that the person next to them and you know allowing God in their lives will cleanse them and help them out in stepping forward and building a new life independent of their age average age of people that escape is 35 to 40 years old and yet these people start from zero and they build families they start working and they have normal healthy lives for someone to come to us because you are long term drug users they will stay in the program for a year inpatient and then another year outpatient year and a half almost so for two and a half years they'll be working on themselves emotionally getting psychotherapy and getting all the support needed to integrate into society with new, with new tools to deal with everyday life.
0: That was amazing. Um, I have to say, I've 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 witnessed, um, I've witnessed this metamorphosis of people going from from zero to having nothing to people having full lives with kids, families, uh, secure jobs. Um, and it's, it's truly very, very hopeful because mm-hmm. there's no point where you can say there is no point of return. Mm-hmm. There is always uh, something that can happen.
1: Exactly. I want to also point out that the therapeutic community, the way it's run, it's run entirely by the clients. And we try to provide within the setting an alternative family. It's a family environment where each will help the other one. It's very interesting that this model resembles very much so um, a community, a a spiritual community, or a community. I would say where uh, practices within the Orthodox Church have we have a lot of common in that way. And I'll point out a couple of things. Within a community, most of therapy is done in group therapy. Group therapy is sharing your experiences and getting some support from each other. It's almost a way to confess what you've done in your life. At Aya there we have a spiritual father who visits once a week. And people, at their own free will, and I find it extremely interesting that almost everybody will have either a talk or a confession session with uh, the spiritual father that visits because of the need to cleanse, the need to start from the beginning is there. So that is a tool that resembles therapy, but also brings it to another level. At Ayaskepi, even church going is optional. So people, if they choose to attend church on Sunday, they'll sign up on a list on Saturday evening, and we transport them to the monastery, which is pretty close to us. And I always find it amazing the amount of people that will sign up on a weekly basis because of that need. The need. To turn to God and ask for His help, and ask for um, repentance, and ask for you know to to feel strong again and do the right thing. The only other practice that we do that also within treatment is quite appropriate, but it's also an Orthodox practice is uh, fasting. We do maintain the fasting periods within the Orthodox calendar because we find that. Self-restraint is what we're trying to build within these people. They've lost self-restraint within their drug use. So if on Wednesday and Friday and if during Lent I restrain from certain foods, I increase my ability to restrain from things that I I used to be, you know, abusing. So we find that fasting is a tool that helps people a lot to build more self-restraint. So we're able, confession and, um, um, and uh, fasting has been the two main tools we've maintained within the therapeutic community because we found they resemble so much, um, uh, they, they assist in treatment. And of course, you know, a, a basic and simple prayer before every meal because we do need to be grateful for what we have. And um again, it's at each person's free will to choose a spiritual life. Some people don't and some people do. but you do but you do notice that people who do choose to have a spiritual path, their treatment runs much smoother
0: than everybody else. That was amazing. Thank you. Um, I think let's uh, to, let's give out a message. Um, on either to young people doing drug abuse right now who are listening to us mm-hmm. who haven't done drug abuse, do you want to separate them? Mm-hmm. Okay, let's sure. do one for people who are in, currently in drug abuse. Okay,
1: people that currently use drugs, I encourage them to either stop if they can because they have their whole life ahead of them and whatever the difficulty is today, there is no difficulty in this world that cannot be dealt with and that cannot be dealt with it without drugs. So um, the message of hope is that whatever the case is, we can deal with it, and they need to just reach out to a friend or a family member and ask for help. And help will be given, and there's no issue in this world that cannot be addressed and dealt with it, whether it's family issue, personal issue, or substance abuse issue in the end. To people that have never used drugs, um it's too much of a risk to take i've lived for 25 years on the other end i've lost clients meaning you know clients of ours have died within the substance abuse world it's never an answer to any problem and i would encourage people to not even experiment not even try because there's really no point to seek healthy ways of entertainment to see of, to seek to express themselves, to deal with their emotions, and to seek emotional help through their friends and family, and professionally if need be.
0: And the last message to parents dealing with uh, children.
1: Parents dealing with children that have already been experimenting or using drugs, there is no need to panic. Um, I would encourage parents to refrain from, you know, using their own methods to deal with it and to ask for professional help. It's very important. People and understandably will panic and use force or uh, constraints that are almost never have never uh, any results. So, for people, for parents who kids are already in substance abuse, I would highly encourage them to ask for help. Now, for parents who kids are not using any drugs but are afraid because of what's going on in our societies, I would say that you need to have one concern about your children make sure their emotional well-being is stable make sure that emotionally they're healthy make sure they get all the help they need emotionally we tend to we tend to oversee the emotional needs of our children and we tend to focus on their GCSEs on their exam results on their college plans. These are all great. But for them to be able to cope with all this, they need to have a good emotional well-being.
0: Thank you so much. Uh, I think today has been enlightening. It's been very hopeful, a very hopeful message. Um, and I've, I've enjoyed it uh, immensely. Thank me you so too. much. Thank, so much. You, thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure.